having never preached from a t-shirt, 22 years of full-time ministry, with the exception of the youth. I've never preached in a t-shirt. But what does it say? Call me Jesus. <laughs> that is our one-liner for today. Y'all <laughs> need Jesus. And so you'll see it, the whole sermon, and... Uh, no, and I, by the way, Dennis did not record that song, but it's like a song he might have recorded, so <laughs> he was a good sport to let me use his name on that one. <coughs> All right, Acts chapter 17, if you have a Bible. We'll have it on the screen if you don't, so don't worry. Let's go ahead and open up with our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning as we open up your word, Lord, and uh, we say it, Lord, we all need Jesus. And so Jesus, I pray you'd come and fill this room fill our hearts. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Now open our minds to hear and receive from the word in Jesus' name. Amen. What if I were to come to you and say, you know, y'all better be in church on Sunday because God needs you to go to church. If you don't go to church, then God's needs for worship won't be met. Now for some of you would say, well that that sounds kind of weird, you know, maybe even absurd. But the fact of the matter is, this is how much, most of the ancient world believed that the gods needed them. They needed their worship. They had a phrase, the gods need us and we need the gods. And so the gods needed human service. They needed humans to build altars and temples. Some, for some reason, they couldn't build their own. They needed humans to worship them, to feed them their children and their families, to lay out offerings to observe the appointed festivals. Uh, many uh, pagan priests would say, our gods need us to do this for them. And the interesting thing is the Bible is almost the exact opposite. God doesn't need us. We need God. Hence the one-liner today, y'all need Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus is God. And so, for, fast forward, you know, not too far, uh, to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is visiting one of the greatest think tanks on earth. Uh, it's it's a, kind of a group of people in Athens, in ancient Greece. And this is in the book of, at the time of the book of Acts, shortly after Acts was written, this is still happening. Uh, they had a great hall called the Areopagus, and they would gather, and they would just discuss ideas. It was kind of a philosophical think tank. And Paul was a bit of a scholar himself, kind of accomplished. He knew, knew himself, knew his way around all these sophists and all these big high uh, uh, teachers. And so, you know, he comes in and he starts hearing all these big words like existentialism and metaphysical reality, eclectic perusia, and stoic perfunctory analysis. How many of you love those words? How many of you use those words every day? <laughs> and then you enter Paul, and he looks around, and he looks all of them, and you know what he says? Y'all need Jesus. <laughs> Y'all need Jesus. Let's go there, Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 24 through 28. So this is the, what we're about to read, is they finally give Paul a chance to speak, which was a great honor. I don't think many people got this honor. This would be like if you showed up to a visiting lecture and they called you up to be a part of the lecture. 
And so Paul's just got a few things he can say. They have to be good. They have to be to the point. This is, I see evidence of the Holy Spirit guiding almost every word here as Paul begins to speak to these super intellectuals who have thought themselves into so many circles they can't even see up from down anymore. And Paul says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, the creator. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Right away, Paul is already destroying their basic belief. The gods need us. He says, rather he gives everyone life and breath and everyone else rather than us giving anything to god it is god who gives life and breath to everything else he says from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands god did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him that is the nicest way you'll ever hear paul say y'all need jesus right there i mean that is as as a polite as a way as you'll ever hear paul put it in the new testament (laughs) that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him and i love the clause he puts at the end though he is not far from any of us and then an amazing statement for in him we live and move and have our being. What a powerful sentence in the Bible. Actually, the sentence predates the Bible by about 400 years from a Greek uh, philosopher named Epimedes, Epimendes, Epi- the guy who said all Christians are liars. Uh, that guy, <laughs> uh, he was the first one to essentially say there is a deity whose power sustains the earth and all life. And uh, he wasn't the first one. Obviously, the Jews predated him. But remember, Paul is speaking in the Greek culture. He uses a Greek example and says, the Bible supports that statement. In him, we live and we move and we have our being. What is Paul saying here? We won't go too much time into the interpretation because it is so easy. It is so easy. Number one, God does not need us. (laughs) God does not need us. He doesn't need us to build his temples. He doesn't need, uh, there's not some insecure part of God where if we don't worship him all of a sudden his needs aren't met you know God does not need us we need God that is when I know someone is a true seeker when you can hear in their conversation a need for God and here in the United States of America sometimes it's really hard to come to that point sometimes when you have every need taken care of you have a job you have a home you have a car your food and all the other things that we can build to make life's little securities happen sometimes we can kind of scratch our head and say what do i really need god for the fact of the matter is is if you live long enough you'll realize we'll all realize that all those little insecurities they aren't enough they aren't life alone and they can all be taken away very very quickly and despite having all of our physical needs met There's nothing to say of our emotional needs or our mental needs. America is still the most anxious and depressed nation on earth, statistically. And so just because we have our needs met in some ways 
doesn't mean we don't need God. We really, really, really need God. And Paul's about to make that plain and simple. The third thing is that God allows things to happen in our lives so that we will discover our need for him and reach out to him. That's the passage in a nutshell. God don't need us. We need him. And he's going to put things in our path to remind us that of our dependence upon him. If you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and flip it over. And there's some blanks in there. Uh, and so you'll be able to fill in some of those blanks as we go through these application points. How do you live this? How do you take this home, this one-liner? Because, you know, you hear it all the time. Y'all need Jesus. Y'all need Jesus. It's, a, it's more of a, a bit of a southern thing. And, and these shirts, I'm sure, uh, you know, in the deep south are uh, sold a little more than maybe the rest of the world. But it's not just a southern thing. It's actually one of those things that I come back a lot of times and say, man, I just want to say y'all need Jesus. Because a lot of times life can be very confusing. It can be very unclear. And when I step back, it's just a reminder, Jesus, I need you. Because we see in a mirror darkly. We need the Lord to guide our path. That's why Jesus said, follow me. He could have said a lot of different things. But there's something about follow me and I will lead you through the confusing world and on the straight path amen number one y'all need jesus to be the crutch (laughs) a famous atheist once said christians use god as a crutch to hold on to because they can't handle difficulties in life when i was younger i used to try to argue that point i used to try to argue that religion wasn't a crutch that christianity wasn't a crutch that jesus wasn't a crutch because it really makes us sound very needy doesn't it very like weak, that we can't handle stuff that, you know, well, we need Jesus because unlike you who are so awesome, you can handle all these things, but we can't, so we got to go to church and go nowhere fast. But the, f- the fact of the matter is, especially as I have, I have gotten older, I say, yes, guilty as charged. I need a crutch. The difference often between us is I recognize the need for a crutch, and you don't. <laughs> But we all need a crutch. In fact, this is what the Holy Spirit is revealing to the world. You know, the world's too big for you. The universe is too big for you. You can't control it. Y'all need Jesus. And in truth, every human being, if you really peel it back, every human being uses something as a crutch to cope with the uncertainties of life. That's why some people drink. Some people party. Some people get five doctorate degrees. Some people marry and remarry 200 times. I think you know what I mean by that. Some people build emotional forts within themselves. Some people build forts of material wealth. And some people, to feel in control, just bite back and lash out in anger and control at everybody around them. But we all cope in one way or another. And after you've tried all of those coping ways, and most of us, we're gonna try many of those coping ways. I have no illusions that we're gonna, we may have our season where we're drinking or partying. We may have our season of this, season of that. But the fact of the matter is sometimes God lets us you know, go through those seasons so that at the end of the day we can come back and say, you know what, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to be that crutch. If a man breaks his leg, 
and the doctor gives him crutches. We do not think him weak or a loser because he uses those crutches. The reality is that spiritually we all have broken souls and we need the crutches God provides in the Holy Spirit to walk the path he's placed before us. So every time I hear all religion is just a crutch, I go, amen, that's the crutch I'm choosing. Which one are you choosing? I don't need a crutch. Ah, Let's really think about that now, you know. Number two, y'all need Jesus to take the wheel. You knew this one. You knew knew eventually at some point this sermon point was going to come out, you know. Big Carrie Underwood fan, not going to lie, you know. I, I know one of her songs, and this is it. No, I know two of her songs, the intro to Sunday Night Football and this song. So uh, two of her songs, but this is the one I know, and this is the one that stuck with me, and it's a great song. We find this concept kind of in numerous places throughout the Bible. I'm going to throw some scriptures at you real quick. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus does not pull out any stops. Jesus says, look, I'll let you try, (laughs) but apart from me, apart from God's leading, apart from him placing us on the path he has for us, you you can do nothing. Try as you may, it is in my power, in my spirit, are you going to live a life of purpose that really matters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, Paul says, the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. Translation, the man who thinks he knows something doesn't yet know that he knows nothing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, Paul again in 2 Corinthians kind of makes the same point. He says, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before, Lord, before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything, but our competence comes from God. Now, 30 years ago, I'll be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed a sermon like this or at least a point like this. Because, you know, 30 years ago in my younger days, I wanted to hear about my potential, my possibilities. I even took tests, you know, uh, personality tests. How many of you have taken a Myers-Briggs test, right? Yeah, we take these tests, you know. How many of you have taken a Taylor Johnson test? Yeah, yeah, I've taken them all. Uh, How many of you have taken a spiritual gifts test, right? Lester Sumerall, yeah. How many of you have taken the purpose-driven life test, you know? took that one too you know taking all these tests you know and so uh, you know to try to discover my strengths and my weaknesses and that's not entirely a bad thing I'm not trying to dog on that we all should dream big dreams we should have high hopes and sometimes we need the youth to challenge us older folks to not just coast in life you know it's one thing I love about young people they'll get you off the couch and so you know But as I approach 50, I've come to a deeper appreciation for the harder realities of life. I realize now that not every dream will come true because not every dream was from God. That some pursuits are actually a waste of time. You only got one life to live. And that wasted time costs you. It costs you a portion of that one life you have to live. And of course, I've lived long enough to know that you'll face some hard times and some deep disappointments. Maybe that's why I think of the Carrie Underwood song often, Jesus Take the Wheel. At this point, I'm more aware than ever of my own limitations. 
I am less impressed with my own talents and abilities as I used to be. I figured out that I'm actually not as good in my head as I actually am, you know. That's where you're supposed to go, no, no, Tom, you are as good as if. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is uh, I'm finding myself increasingly glad to let Jesus take the wheel. I'm finding myself increasingly glad to worship a God whose power is unlimited, whose strength never wanes, who sees all things. There's nothing hidden from his sight, but especially a God whose plans cannot be defeated. That's what I want for my life. I want the plan of God that cannot be defeated. You may say, well, where's that in the Bible? It's crystal clear in many passages, but the clearest one is probably you can pitch your tent at the gates of hell and hell will not prevail over you. If hell can't beat you, God can't be defeated. And so that's why we all need Jesus to take the wheel because of that unlimited power, unlimited strength, and plans that cannot be defeated. Amen? Number three. Y'all need Jesus to remove our sin. You can't preach a sermon on y'all need Jesus <laughs> and not talk about the greatest need <laughs> that Jesus provided for. You see, we're all born with this thing hanging off our bellies called sin, right? We're all born with it. Thank you, Adam and Eve. You know, we're all born with it. And here's the problem. We need to get rid of it because God's a holy God, right? We can't live in the presence of a holy God while we've got this unholy, metastasized spiritual cancer attached to our souls. So we need a way to get rid of it. Jesus says, yeah, you need to get rid of it. I can do this. You can't. You don't have the ability. You, if you, but if you don't remove this thing called sin, you can't get to God. So Jesus said, I am the only one that can do it. I died the death that you needed to die, and I have now removed everything that separates from you from God and thrust you into his purposes. And because of that removal, Jesus says, you never have to fear death again. You don't have to worry about living. You don't have to worry about dying. You get to join the greatest adventure you could ever possibly join. An adventure where God leads you on a life backed by his power, his strength, and his plan. And Jesus is very clear. I think Carmen said it earlier. Often the only, team, the only thing holding us back is our own pride. Every person who I have ever talked to that, that says, no, nah, I don't think Jesus is for me. It's never like, you know, I really sat, uh, sat down, reasoned it. No, there's no, no, no God, no Jesus, no need for, there's no evil, there's no need for redemption. Our world is fine. Uh, I've never heard someone just sort of sit down and say that. There's always a sort of a, well, I don't know if I want to give up control or I don't know if I want to, you know. There's always seems to be something we're holding on to that keeps us from that full life in Christ. 
And Jesus just says, let it go. Let it go. What little gain you get from it is not going to be worth the greater gain you get from having me here. Amen? Y'all made Jesus. And then finally, number four. Y'all need Jesus to save us from ourselves. <laughs> I remember when I was working at our, the last church I came from before I came here, uh, which was more than 12 years ago now. Uh, it, was a much, it was a very large church, uh, two or 3,000 people. It was like a small city. And uh, I came from a smaller church like this one to this larger church. And for the first year or so, I had a hard time finding my fit, finding my bearings. I was kind of a loudmouth. I was very opinionated. I had a really big anger and temper problem. Uh, probably a little bit of like, I don't know what they call that, short short guys, something, whatever, you know, complex or, you know. Because uh, I was by far, it was like a staff of, other than the senior pastor, it was a staff of giants. And so, you know, so I, I know I had my hang-ups, you know, and, and, and I, was, I was so upset. You know, I, I, like after the first year, I was like, you know what, I'm done with this, man. I want to quit. I'm sick of these people you know this is the church you know <laughs> and and I, I sat down and I talked with you know I was talking with one of the one of the guys and who was above me you know not the senior pastor but one of the executive pastors and he said you know what Tom you know what your problem is I said what is my problem <laughs> I'm so glad I have you to tell me he said he said Tom sometimes you're your own worst enemy I never forgot that <laughs> I never forgot that sometimes I can be my own worst enemy, that I need God to save me from myself, you know? I can very much screw up my life. <laughs> I can very much, you know, go through things that just destroy the blessing of God within. So, I mean, literally, my prayers, a lot of times are like, God, I'm about to do this. Don't let me screw it up, you know? <laughs> don't let me, don't let me be the one, because I, I know, you know, I have those things inside of me, and so did Paul, uh, Paul knew this all too well, and that's why he wrote uh, a, a beautiful little soliloquy at the end of Romans chapter 7. We're going to finish our, ver our sermon today with just kind of these, these three things that Paul wrote, because I, I know it's kind of like a sermon within a sermon, but these are so good, I think they'll really be encouraging for you. And that what Paul really highlights in this last little soliloquy is kind of three struggles that we all go through. And the first struggle is this. The struggle to live up to what you know you ought to be. Paul writes in Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. How many of you can say amen to that thought? Come on, the whole church should be standing up and shouting right now, you know? That is the human existence right there. <laughs> we know the good, but we don't do it. We know what's wrong, and we fight against it, and then we do it anyway. <laughs> we say, I will, and then we don't. We say, I won't, and then we do. We say, never again, and then we end up doing it. Somebody once said that Paul must have been a golfer because a golfer understands this principle all too well. You line up to putt, you think it's going to break right, and what does it do? It breaks left, right? Right, left. So... <laughs> You know, that which you do does not happen. And it's a struggle. It's that struggle to reconcile what you know ought to happen with what actually happens. 
And Paul says, man, that can be a huge discouragement to people. When you're really trying, and you're really trying, and somehow or another you still blow it from time to time. Second struggle, he says, is to endure repeated personal failure. He goes on uh, later in the soliloquy, in cha- beginning in cha- uh, chapter 7, verse 18, Romans seven eighteen. he says, I have the desire to do what is good. He's saying, look, I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> I'm not just like, you know, uh, uh, it's not like I can't. You know, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Never give up on that struggle. You may endure personal failures. This is, you know, we think of these personal failures like, what would you say? Like drugs or, you know, immorality or, you know, those big ones are easy to point out. What about the ones that sometimes we like and justify? Like gossip, unforgiveness, bitterness, pride. Those little things that can be a lot more easily justified than robbing a bank or, you know, committing murder. And so when you do these over and over and over, sometimes we just get to this point of, ah, that's just me. I'll just accept it. Hey, the world needs to accept me for who I am. This is just part of who I am. And Paul, what Paul is saying is this, is yeah, I understand that struggle all too well. Never give up fighting against it. Never just say, I'm a gossip. Say, I'm someone who's struggling with gossip. I made it my dying breath, but I'm struggling against it. I don't want it in my life. Does that make sense? The struggle to endure repeated personal freedom. Then finally, the last one, and this is a hard one because it's, you know, the struggle to love God and enjoy sin. He says, what I want to do, in verse 21 to 23, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another work in my body waging war against my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work with me. What is Paul admitting here? Paul, one of the greatest Christians ever, is admitting he sins. I hope I did not ruin your view of St. Paul. (laughs) There's no amount of going to church or preaching at a church is going to change the fact that those three struggles may follow us to our dying breath. So if Paul struggled, we're probably going to struggle too. How does Paul finish this thought? Does he just leave us with, yeah, you're all going to struggle. So what's the point? No, he doesn't. He leaves us with the answer. And the answer is this. In Romans 7.24, he says, First, what a wretched man that I am. That's honesty. The first way, the first part of getting over anything is being honest about it. I talk about people behind their back. I am a gossip. I need to get over it. I need to, I need to struggle with it and fight it. I, I, I need to be honest about it. I do that, and it's wrong. So what a wretched man that I am. And he says, who will rescue me 
from this body of death. That's humility. First he's saying, I'm being honest with myself, I struggle with this. And the next thing he's saying is, I can't fix me. Who will rescue me? That's, he's, he's not, he doesn't say that because he can rescue himself. Who will rescue me? And finally he says, thanks be to God, Jesus will. That's dependence. That's Paul's way of saying, y'all need Jesus. Come on, you got to say it with some soul. Come on. Y'all need Jesus. That's right. <laughs> You'll never know if Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. If you are weary, you're tired, if you want your sins forgiven, and if you want to know God, then accept that you all need Jesus. The saying is so true. It's better to have Jesus and not need him, although we know we do, than to need Jesus and not have him, because we truly do. I want to end with a final story. I found this uh, oddly through a little news feed. I was doing a Google search, and it was right there. Uh, uh, and it was d- called Running Toward My Father. I thought it was going to be a Christian article, so I clicked on it. It was a running article, you know, actual running. Who does that anymore? You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so this is a person who uh, ran a marathon. I thought marathons were 26 miles. Aren't they? Yeah. This was 50. She ran a 50-mile, what they called a marathon. And uh, she said this. She said, as a young girl, my father would often bring me to the track where he jogged three miles a day, putting me in the center in the grass with my toys. I would sit there and watch him. (coughs) My dad was a marathon runner, and I always enjoyed watching his graceful stride as he effortlessly, effortlessly ran lap after lap. As I got older, I ran with him. As he got older, I ran without him. I was running a 50-mile marathon when I stopped to drink the energy goo and talk to another runner. She said she was going to bow out because she didn't have anybody waiting for her at the finish line anyway, and she was really starting to hurt and cramp up. That wasn't an option for me because my father was there at the finish. He waited to greet me, to hold me, and to say nice things. And then, as I sat on the table, soaked with sweat, smelling like an animal, it was my father who came, and he hugged me, and he told me how proud of me he was. And that just at that moment, they wanted to take a picture. And so they took a picture with me and my father at the race. Later on, she said, I was looking at the picture from the race, and I realized how much I resemble my dad. She said, now, for those of you who don't know this, most girls do not want to be told they look like their father. I was one of them. But as I looked at that picture, I couldn't have been more proud to look like my father. I read this as an example from a runner's article. 
But boy, there is Christian overtones in that article everywhere. He is the father who is the example to us when we're younger. And he is the father who is waiting for us at the finish line, keeping us going when others would be tempted to quit. And he is the father, when you look at the final picture, you will be so proud that in the end, you resembled him. That's why we run to the Father. And to get that, y'all need Jesus. Bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. Worship team, come forward. This morning, as we conclude, let's just take a moment to just, maybe it's one of those struggles that Paul outlined. Maybe there's a struggle to let Jesus take that wheel. I know I don't do that perfect. Not at all. Maybe there's a critical or a prideful habit that we need to just surrender up to God. Holy Spirit, right now I pray you would show us something we're supposed to give to you. A weakness, a struggle, a challenge, an area of wrong thinking, or the parts in our lives that perhaps lack the appropriate humility. Like Paul, maybe an area in our life where we need to get gut honest. Paul, one of the most phenomenal Christians ever, got gut honest and said, I struggle. That which I want to do, I do not do. And that which I do is what I do not want to do. I struggle. What a wretched man. Who will rescue me? Who? Thanks be to God. Jesus. Let's pray together. Everybody just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, that which you have shown me, I give to you. And I declare, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be the crutch, to take the wheel, to forgive my sins, and save me from myself. I declare that you are the Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit that I may worship you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.